the spring of 2013, and myself and the fraternity that I was in, uh, Christian fraternity at that, uh, just to clarify, right, um, had decided that we were going to go out and break the Guinness World Record for longest flag football game. So the longest flag football game at the time was set at 24 hours, and the fraternity that I was in had actually set the softball record on two separate occasions, setting it at 101 hours. We were about to head into the 50th anniversary of our fraternity, and I had this genius idea. Hey, let's set the record at 50 hours. Terrible idea. Softball and football are a little bit different, right? So we agreed, and we decided to raise some money for a nonprofit to help build a city in Andong, Cambodia. Uh, we were going to raise money to build a health clinic and a marketplace. And uh, there was a lot of preparation that took place to make this happen. So the way it worked is it was seven on seven with six subs. So we would play two-hour shifts, and then we would at some point have four-hour shifts that we'd have to play through. For months leading into the game, we prepared. We trained. We woke up at 5.30 for 6 a.m. workouts. We had running logs that we had to keep. There was preparation that took place. We ended up raising $86,000 for this uh, nonprofit, and so we had meetings set up with local businesses. There was a lot of work, and at the same time, we were still college students, right? So we finally hit the big day. We started, and the cameras were pointed on us. Uh, we had to log everything for it to qualify as a Guinness World Record, and we had to stay within the camera frames the entire time. And uh, the first couple hours were fun, right? It was a great time. We were playing a sport that we loved until real reality kind of clicked in at 4 a.m. when there weren't any fans cheering us on anymore because everybody had gone to bed, and we got hit with a torrential downpour. We were soaked to our core. 12 hours in, we were dragging. 24 hours in, when we broke the record, there was a real part of each of us that were like, man, we broke the record, right? Like, do we really have to do the 50? Like, we did it. We made it. But we had set a goal and we had promised our sponsors that this is what we were shooting for. It was a rough 50 hours. We were hurting. I broke my pinky in the first hour of the game. It's great. We were all cramping. We were tired. We were mentally and physically exhausted. We couldn't leave the frame of the camera, right? So we had to stay on site the entire time. We actually had one of our sponsors was Mermaid Mattress. And they donated mattresses and laid them out in the field. And you just see players just pass out on, on the field on these mattresses. At one point, one of our guys literally fell asleep standing up. And we knew that he fell asleep because he fell flat on his face, <laughs> right? It was one of the most challenging things we've ever done, I've ever done. But with 5,000 people surrounding the field, we finally reached our goal of 50 hours. We raised money for the health clinic in the marketplace. The score was 1,163 to 1,063. I was on the losing team, we lost by 100. And following the game, we were dragging. I'm pretty sure I got home, I took a shower, and then the next day I woke up and I was face down in my bed 14 hours later. Now for us, we had suffered for 50 hours of flag football. We had suffered through rain, cold, aches, pains, and everything in between. But if we're being honest this morning, some of you in the room this morning have suffered, and it's not a game. Some of you in the room have suffered something pretty heavy. You've lost a loved one. You've lost a family member. You've lost a job. You've lost a relationship that meant so much to you. And these experiences, these moments have rocked you to your core. 
This morning, my hope is by the end of the time, our time together, is that you will know that in the suffering, God is with us, in us, and working through us. Good morning, my name is Josh Power, and I am the student pastor here, and I'm so excited to be able to share with you this morning, whether you're online or you're in person, thank you for joining us in our champion series. And the reality of God being with us, in us, and at, working, at work through us sounds really great and all, but let's just be honest this morning. Sometimes it just doesn't feel that way. In the middle of suffering, in the middle of hardship, it feels like we're alone. It feels like we're abandoned. We're perplexed. We're wondering what on earth is happening and what good can actually come from the suffering that I'm enduring in this moment. Today we're going to dive into something that the Apostle, wrote, Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. And if there's somebody that can understand suffering, it's Paul. I heard it said at one point, Paul got his doctorate in the school of suffering, right? And when he writes this text, it's not theory for him, it's firsthand experience. Like, like you're going to listen to a guy in these writings that is not just writing something because he's saying, hey, this is a good idea. No, he's writing this because he's saying, hey, this is what I did to persevere. This is what I did to get through the suffering that I endured. So as we read this text, know that it is being written by somebody who understands the realities of suffering. If you want to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and if you don't have a Bible with you, we have a Bi Bibles as you exit. We'd love for you to pick one of those up. You can open your app as well. Uh, but 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have this treasure. This treasure being the reality that Jesus is our champion. And because he is our champion, he has conquered sin and death. And he's given us a promise of eternity beyond these jars of clay that we wear. These jars of clay that we are. You see, jars of clay would have been something that would have been typical in Paul's era. Right? They would have been something that he would have seen in his everyday life. They would have used this for water. They would have used it to contain important things like oil. And jars would have been something that would have been common, but... For Paul, as he writes this, he understands the reality of a, of a clay jar. He understands that it's fragile. Now, for us, when we think of fragile, we would think that a glass jar is pretty flat, fragile. But the truth is, is that a glass jar would have been an upgrade in that era. Jars of clay are actually incredibly fragile. And so we have to ask ourselves, why would God choose this precious treasure to go inside of something so fragile? And I believe what Paul is trying to convey in this message is that he's trying to say, hey, listen, the reality is the power doesn't come from the jar, it comes from me. The power doesn't come from what the jar is, but it comes from what's inside the jar itself. Paul seems to express the reasoning behind God wanting to use a jar is to show his power and his glory is from him alone. That it's not from Paul, that it's not from mankind, that it's not from any other source other than God himself. The only explanation could be only God. That the power of the gospel is not limited or diminished by the quality of the container. We recognize this because the vessel, it's not the vessel that makes it valuable, it's what the vessel contains. It's what the vessel pours out. While the jars of clay will fade away, what's inside will remain. And, then, and when this treasure finds its home inside of each and every one of us, it reveals its all-surpassing power through us 
And when we face the realities of a broken, sinful world, we press on. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9 says, But we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Speaking from experience, Paul is identifying this inner strength that he has from the champion of Jesus that he's accepted. That this, this power that's coming from the champion of Jesus enables him to endure. Those two words right there, but not, are critical to this passage, right? Because if something is hard-pressed, we expect it to be crushed. If something is perplexed, we expect it to feel despair. If someone is persecuted, we expect them to feel abandoned. And if someone is struck down, we expect them to be destroyed, but not. But not when the, that person has their champion in Jesus. You see, the reality is that, not, is that when you give your life to Jesus, it's not that life will get easy, that you'll get what you want, that in turn, when you give your life to Jesus, it's not that you'll get rich, it's not that you'll receive everything that you've ever wanted, it's not that the suffering of this world will go away. The reality is that when Jesus is your champion, he is then with you, in you, and at work through you. The reality is that when Jesus is your champion and you're fighting from this inner source of him, you're not alone. That in the middle of the suffering, in the middle of what you're going through, there's somebody standing with you. And not only is he with you and he's in you, but he's at work through you if you would allow him to work. We are jars of clay, hard-pressed but not destroyed. Because inside of this jar, we carry a treasure inside us. And this all-surpassing power that comes from this treasure gives us the ability to be strengthened, to, be, to persevere, and to be empowered through it. As the ultimate comforter, he can comfort us in the midst of crisis. In the midst of chaos, he can provide peace. In the midst of a storm, he can calm our spirit. And with this truth, whatever we face, we can stand with confidence in the champion that we already have, that this life is temporary, that jars of clay will go away, that suffering itself is temporary, but what we carry inside each of us is a little piece of eternity. We carry a little piece of eternity. You see, Paul didn't face his suffering with the attitude of the end. He, he, he faced his suffering with the attitude of eternity. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says, Therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. In face of loss, in face of difficulties, in face of adversity, in face of suffering, don't lose heart. Paul's saying don't give up. In face of whatever you may go through, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Rather, realize the spirit inside of you is renewing you day by day if you would allow him to work. For those looking at Paul, they would have said, man, you've gone through a lot of stuff. Like, you've endured suffering. You've endured persecution. What are you doing, bro? Like, how are you keeping on? How are you keeping on pressing on through all of the things that you're facing? But Paul had a clear message to those who saw him. His outward appearance may be experiencing suffering, but his inward appearance, his inward being was being made new every day. Paul's a perfect example of regardless of what we face, if we allow it, the Spirit can work in us in the midst of what we face. 2 Corinthians 4.17. It says, For our light and momentary troubles 
are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, when you listen to this, if you're reading this passage and you know Paul, it's almost comical, really, when you think about it. Because Paul is saying, My, your light, for our light and momentary troubles. When you think about what Paul went through, it wasn't exactly light. It wasn't momentary. Paul had been beaten. He had been whipped. He had been imprisoned. He had been shipwrecked. There was actually a group of men that said, hey, we're not going to eat nor drink until we've killed Paul. And opening this letter in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually talks about his difficulties in Asia, that they were hard-pressed on either side, that they had to endure this great pressure that they couldn't endure by themselves. In fact, they were given a death sentence. But that little piece of eternity inside of him, that treasure that he carried would result in something that far outweighed his present circumstances. It's Paul who would then say in 2 Corinthians 4.18, who we should fix our eyes on. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So my wife and I have twins. They're uh, two and a half. And uh, the terrible twos is a real thing, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a parent, the terrible twos is, is a real thing. And so we're in the middle of the terrible twos. We're also in the middle of, par of the potty training phase. And so that's been an adventure. Um, and so they've been, like, wearing uh, big boy underwear is what we like to say, right? Or big girl underwear. And so they've been wearing that throughout the days. And so when they come to, to bedtime, we ask them to put on a pull-up. Now, there was a phase that they went through where they're like, I'm not wearing a pull-up. Like, I don't want to wear a pull-up. And I'm like, no, you're, you're going to wear a pull-up. And so Megan, my wife, she was like, let's just try it for a couple days. Like, let's, let's see if they can do it. Because Micah had had a couple nights where he hadn't had any accidents inside of his pull-up. And so I was like, all right, we'll try it. And sure enough, sure enough, right, that, that night, and my wife is a saint. She got up with them. I don't even remember it. She woke up the next morning and was like, hey, do you know what happened last night? And I'm like, no, what happened last night, right? There's an accident, Micah wet his bed, and then Evelyn wet her bed 30 minutes later. I mean, it was one of, that's the joy of twins, right? Like, when one does it, the other one follows suit. And so we started this phase of saying, okay, well, you're going to start wearing pull-ups again. And they fought it, right? Like, I remember literally, like, wrestling Micah, like, as he's yelling and screaming, like, no, you've got to wear it. And why? Because for them, all they could see is what's right in front of them. And in their minds, they can't see the accident that is going to come later on. In their minds, all they see is what's right in front. And I'm, as a father, like, no, I know what's going to happen. You're going to wet the bed. Mom's going to wake up in the middle of the night because I, I'm a hard sleeper. And then she's not going to be happy in the morning because of you waking up. So we're going to put the pull-up on. But that's just their reality. And I'm blown away and fascinated with how much they can live in the here and the right now. What they see is all that matters. Right? So if they see a popsicle, what do they want? They want the popsicle. If they see candy, they want the candy. If they see the lemonade in the atrium, they take off sprinting for it, right? That's what they want. And if they don't get it, in their minds, I'm sure they're suffering. I mean, at least on the outward side, they're showing suffering. They're screaming and kicking. They're so upset. But what I know as the parent is that this too will pass. And what Paul knows is that this season of suffering will pass, but so will this outward body. But what won't pass away is Jesus. What won't pass away is the promise of eternity in Jesus. It's why we fix our eyes on him and not on the temporary. Because if our eyes are fixed on the temporary, we lose sight of eternity. 
When all we're focused on is what's right in front of us and all we're focused on is what we want here and now, we lose sight of what God has already given us. We lose sight of the hope that is in Jesus and what he has promised. In 2 Corinthians 5.1, it says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house, not built by human hands, We know that eventually we'll return to dust. This body will return to dust. This jar of clay is temporary. But we have the promise through our champion Jesus of a house in heaven, not made by human hands, but by God himself. You see, a tent is a temporary residence, right? We wouldn't say, hey, like, we're going to sell our house and we're moving into a tent. Your wife or your husband would be like, no, we're not, right? No, a, a tent is temporary. A house is intended to be permanent. And throughout this text that we've been reading, Paul consistently reminds us of this truth. Suffering is a reality, but so is eternity. Suffering is a reality. In a sinful, fallen, broken world, in fragile bodies, in a world governed by broken people, suffering is a reality that we all will face at some point if we haven't already. But what we lose sight of in the midst of our suffering is that so is eternity. And when we fight from a place of eternity, when we fight from the place of the treasure that we face, we are reminded that there's something so much beyond what we're currently facing. You see, Jesus is our champion not only because he conquered sin and death, but because he made it possible for us to do the same. But even with this reality, what do we do with the suffering that we'll endure? Yes, it's great that eternity is our reality, but how do we respond? I love what Paul wrote in the prior passage that we started out with in in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In the face of darkness, we are called to let our light shine in the face of suffering, in the face of adversity, in the face of whatever we may face, we're called to let our light shine. And this could not be more evident than in the life of the Apostle Paul. Throughout all that he endured, he pressed on. Right? Like I said before, the people that he was speaking to, the stories that he shared, those people had to have looked at the Apostle Paul and said, what is keeping this guy going? How is he continuing to press on? How can he continue to talk about the love of God and talk about how we need to surrender to God? How can he talk about the faithfulness of God in light of all that he's, in, all that he's faced, all that he's endured? It's because Paul didn't face what he faced in light of what he was currently going through. He faced it in light of eternity. He faced it in light of the champion that he had inside of him. I was 22 years old when I took my first ministry job, straight out of college. And uh, I moved down here to Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I actually had said to myself, like, two places I'm never going to move, Alaska and Alabama. (laughs) And I know if you're born and bred Alabama, I apologize. In my head, the only thing of Alabama that I knew was Forrest Gump. And I was like, I can't do that. Like, that's... And sure enough, I met with the the, the pastor that I was going to be serving with, and he said, dude, I'm so excited. One of your best volunteers, his name is Bubba. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, (laughs) right? Like, this... This can't be real. Like, all right, like, God, if you told me to go, I'm just thankful he didn't send me to Alaska. So I moved down to Birmingham, Alabama, 
and I think it was within the first couple months, I got a phone call from my mom. And uh, she had called and said, hey, I think you need to come home. And I remember thinking, okay, like, what's going on? And she said, your sister's not doing well. You need to jump on a flight home. And uh, my sister Marianne had endured years of medical issues, including polio, diabetes, post-polio syndrome. And uh, she was a sister that I grew up with. Uh, she was mentally handicapped to about a fourth grade level, and she was uh, paralyzed from the waist down. And uh, she was always in the house when I grew up, and I remember uh, I would steal her wheelchair, which sounds terrible now, but it was fun when I was a kid. Um, I would uh, I'd come up behind her on my little uh, four-wheeler thing that I had in the house, and I'd come up behind her and I'd give her speeding tickets in the halls. Uh, she was always down to watch a movie, play a game, or do a puzzle together. We, we grew up together. She was probably my closest sibling. And so when I got word that there was something going on, I remember thinking, okay, like, I'll jump on the flight. I'll get home. Uh, I landed in Richmond, Virginia, about 45 minutes away from my house, and my dad picked me up, and my mom calls on her way over, and she says, you need to get here quickly. And I, I remember just processing through in that moment. I mean, it's hard to process in the moment. Your mind goes to everything that's going on. And so we, we got to the house, and uh, there was my sister on a hospital bed, on a ventilator, and her body clearly struggling, surely enduring some suffering. I remember coming by her bedside and just spending some time with her. Um, and so we walked out of the room just to get something to eat because I had traveled all day and we hadn't eaten. And about 15 minutes later, she passed. And I remember just sitting outside of her room and just being broken. Like, just, I mean, if you knew Marianne, like, she wouldn't hurt a fly. She was the sweetest human being you would have ever met. And my mom walked out, and I remember looking at her, and I said, why? Why would God let this happen? Like, she's so sweet. She's such a good human being. She let the light of Christ shine every day through her actions. Why? And I remember my mom looking at me, and she said, do you want to know what happened prior to? And I said, well, yeah, like, what's going on? And she said, well, first off, in light of the months that she had endured all the stuff that was going on medically, she never complained once. Not a single time did Marianne say, why me, God, or can't you take this away, or this is so messed up, why did you do this to me? Not one time. And she said, you want to know what she said a couple nights ago before she passed? And I said, yeah, like, what's going on? And she said, well, she looked at me and she said, if I don't wake up in the morning, I'll see you at the gates. Somebody who's mentally handicapped to a fourth grade level was able to look at my mom and understand that the suffering that she faced, she was able to fight from the treasure of eternity that she carried. From the treasure of eternity that she carried. You see, here's the reality. As Christ followers, it's not that we have to suffer. It's not that we have to suffer. It's that at some point, we will. And when we do, it presents a unique opportunity to reveal the tre treasure inside of each of us. You see, we are jars of clay. And these jars were formed by God himself. 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. 
guaranteeing what is to come. You see, here's the thing. Jars are fashioned for a specific purpose. They're, they're designed for a purpose. They're designed to pour out. They're designed to carry something. And what this passage, passage of Scripture is telling us is that inside of each of us is a deposit of the Holy Spirit that is intended to be poured out. And maybe you haven't endured suffering, and you're thinking to yourself, man, like, I can't be used by God then. But here's the, the reality is that we get this mindset sometimes that if you don't have a story of suffering, you don't have a testimony. And that's not true at all because your testimony is of God's faithfulness and goodness in your life. And you can still pour out that spirit inside of you, that treasure inside of you. But let's be honest. Some of us have endured some suffering. Some of us have endured some really hard things. We've lost someone. We've lost our jobs. It's been a really tough couple of years. But that spirit is also deposited inside of you. And when we let it, it shines through the cracks. That in light of the suffering, in light of what we may face, we allow the spirit and the treasure to flow out of it and we respond in a way that is not earthly or not temporary, but we respond from a place of eternity because we know what is promised, the world around us looks at us and says, what is going on? How are they doing that? What do they have inside of them? Because it doesn't make sense. They're responding in a way that makes absolutely no sense. They're still happy in the light of what's going on. They're still talking about God's goodness in light of their suffering. And it's because they're able to respond from the treasure inside of them. Now listen, I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know the suffering that you may have endured. But whatever you faced, can I tell you this morning, it's a unique opportunity to present the treasure inside of you, to let that light shine. And those jars of clay that we are, while they may be cracked, they may be damaged to the world around us, when we let that light shine, it reveals the promise of eternity through Jesus Christ. And you can change someone's actions. You can change someone's destination for eternity simply by responding in the way that Christ would have called us to. Suffering is a reality, but so is eternity. And when we respond from that place, we spread that light to the world around us. And people have to ask that question, what do they have inside of them that's keeping them going? How can they consistently love and trust God and believe that he's faithful in light of this world? So this morning, our team's going to lead us in a song. And I want to invite you, whatever it may be, will you offer that to God? Will you start to face whatever you may be facing in light of the treasure that's inside of you? And then in turn, will you let that light shine to the world around you? because the world around you is in desperate need of some good news, of some hope, of some eternal promises. So as they sing, will you surrender that to him? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day and thank you for the fact that we can face whatever we may face, the suffering that we may endure, we can face that with the reality of eternity. That suffering is temporary, but eternity is promised. Father, I pray that in light of what we may face, that you would allow us to be your hands and feet, that in the cracks that we may face, in the jars that we are, Father, let your eternal light flow through us. Let people around us ask us, what is going on? What do you have? And in turn, let us let your light shine. 
Father, whatever we may be going through, let us surrender to you. In light of what's going on, let us fight it from the treasure that we have inside. 